Dan Perkins Media proudly presents Moms Across America, a program where women can speak their minds openly and freely without fear of reprisal. Moms Across America is about the issues of the day confronting America from a mom's point of view. And now, here are the moms. Hello and welcome to Moms Across America. This is Vicki Tonkins with my co-host, Miss Southern Sense, <laughs> Annie Ublis. And our special guest today is our producer, Dan Perkins. He is far more than a producer. So <laughs> we're going to interview Dan today. But remember, get your free constitution at ashbrook.org forward slash constitution. And I really want to get right into this because Dan, most of you do not know, moms, that Dan is an author and a prolific one at that. <laughs> he has written seven books and his most current is his eighth. And I think there's a second part to the eighth. Right. And the name of the book that we're going to be talking about today is Sad Eyes, and it's One Woman's World War II Journey. I got to tell you, Dan, I started reading the book. Yeah. It is one of those kind of books. I love, I love the style of the book that she is telling her story. Right. I love that, first of all. And secondly, I want to go to the next chapter. It's like, as soon as I, get to, I want to get to the next one. And, yeah. and it's, I got to tell you, I'm going to be real honest with y'all right now. It's been a long time that I picked up a book and started reading it and actually wanted to finish it. <laughs> so <laughs> don't tell my husband that because he's an author too. <laughs> you know what? Well, I, the uh, One of the things that everybody who has read the manuscript and interviewed me has talked about is the unusual end of chapter life lessons learned yes yes the publisher uh, who's been publishing books for 35 years has never seen that concept before ever and uh the people who have read it love it and and the reason i wrote it that way um <clears throat> There were, there were a couple of things you need to know about the background of, of why I wrote this book. Um, I was in the throes of writing um, my Lincoln book, which is the publisher calls an epic because it's over 238,000 words. It, it'll be three books, three books. But uh, I decided what I want, I always want to challenge myself with writing something new and different. So I went to Google and I said, so Google, tell me, what's the most, what's the favorite genre in fiction in America? Want to guess what it is? I know what it is. <laughs> Annie, what do you think it is? Uh, it would be a woman's story. Vicki? Romance, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely. Two to one over the second category is romance the most favorite period of time to to read about is world war ii really yes number one number one subject matter hands down so i i knew that i was going to have to write about romance and i had to write about it during the second world war <laughs> and that's where i started but i also as i was thinking about the story 
and creating the character, I had a modern day motivation. As we, the three of us have talked many, many times, the persecution that young women and girls go through in the United States. Yes. Uh, and, and it's getting more violent as they, they get into contact sports like field, field hockey. Um, and so I, I decided, where, where is the women's movement protecting the girls? Why is so much of the transgender program or philosophy focused more on women than men? Why is it that women have to give up parts of their body and 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 go on drugs for the rest of their lives in order to satisfy somebody's view? And what I concluded, ladies, was that this group of people don't have any heroes. They're being manipulated by other people who yep. are not necessarily in their interest. So I decided that we needed a good woman's book about moral values and being a, a woman and being worthwhile and so those were those were the premises well this i starts... can tell you right now the view is not they're not heroes <laughs> so you're right on target with that people who have have and i don't know how far you are, are into the first book but but people say the the life lessons learn peace is how she is educating future generations, how she's educating people who read this book and read those life lessons learned um, are applicable to today, just as much as they might've been during World War II. Yes. So what I try to do is to give, give a, a, a forum for a woman to express herself, to be want to be independent, and want to do something that makes a contribution to mankind. So that came up with the, the, the had to be a nurse. There wasn't any other choice. It had to be a nurse. And our heroine uh, grows up in Waterloo, Iowa, in the hinterlands. And she goes up during the, the, the depression. Yeah. And, uh, and when she, decides in her sophomore year of high school that she wants to be a nurse. She doesn't want to be a nurse in Waterloo, Iowa. She doesn't want to go to school in Waterloo, Iowa. She wants right. to get out of town because she knows that if she stays there and given that she's a gorgeous red-haired, green-eyed girl, very unique, um, it's going to be hard for her to resist the onslaught from the boys and the, the men in the town. And she doesn't want to get pregnant because she doesn't want to give up her career before it even starts. Right. That's one of her greatest fears is that if she if she succumbs to her passions for what would happen in a moment will change her life forever. Absolutely. And um, her parents are incredibly supportive. Um, they're a little disappointed that she's not going to go to nursing school because most people don't know this ladies in the late twenties and early thirties. If you wanted to be a nurse, you didn't go to college. You went to a nursing school right. and you went into what is called a certificate program, which was generally three years. 
and you you were at school 50 weeks out of the year. Wow. You had two weeks off in August. And in addition to that, you had to work every evening in the hospital. And you had to work two shifts on a weekend. And for that, the total cost to go to the nursing school for three years to get your certificate, not diploma, certificate is $90. Wow. $30, $30 a year. It was room, board, tuition, books, fees, even uniforms were all included in that $30 a year. But you had to work pretty hard in the hospital. But she loved, she was just, she, she was born to be a nurse. She was born to help people. And um, there's a wonder, wonderful snippet about her relationship with her mother and father and her sister and her younger brother. She's in the middle person. The tradition in their family, the two most favorite holidays for their family were Christmas and the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. And they had a tradition at Christmas time is that they would go out to the Christmas tree farm and cut their own Christmas tree and bring it home. And this year, her sister, who usually went with her dad, couldn't go. So she went, and her younger brother. And he, all the way out to the farm, he begged his dad, could he cut down the tree? So they finally get there, and they finally decide on a tree, and he crawls underneath the tree with a saw. Oh, and it slips off the trunk and cuts deep into his leg, and he's bleeding profusely. And she's a sophomore in high school. She's been working as a volunteer at the hospital, but she tells her dad, give me the rope that you were going to tie the tree to the car. And she creates a tourniquet, and uh, they're out in the country. They didn't have phones, so they're going to have to put him in the car and take him to the hospital. And so... He's there, and the doctor comes out after several hours and says, whose idea was it to put the tourniquet on his leg? The father says, my daughter, and she's going to be a nurse. And she saved her, her brother's life from bleeding to death. Yeah. That was one of the things that was important to her, that she had to help people, family, of course, but to people they didn't know. The, the description of what it was like to live during the Depression with, especially in the Midwest, with a dust bowl, and she would have to, they would have to drive to take her to school and then drive over and pick her up because they couldn't afford a, a train for everybody, the mom and dad and, and Mary to go to the, get on the train and go. But when they drove, almost 11 hours, Wow! They, they got a good look at what was going on in the small towns in the Midwest with buildings for sale, houses foreclosed on, yeah. shanty towns, people wandering the streets. And she lived in Waterloo and they lived on a street and at the end of the street, there was a park with a big lake in it. And they would go swimming in the summertime and ice skating in the winter. But when she came back home her first summer, it was a shantytown. There were people that they, they either lived in tents or built shanties 
because they couldn't afford to live anywhere else. So we get a perspective of understanding what was happening within the economy and to the American people and the suffering and the disappointment they had. At the same time, we see her growing and maturing into a, a, an amazing woman. And I wanted to position her as a strong person with compassion. And uh, it was really uh, an amazing story to be able to write. And, and as I was doing the final edits just before it was published, I turned to my wife and said, this is a hell of a story. This is a story that, like a lot of my other books, totally different subject matter. You can't put it down. Right? That's how it is. It truly is that. <laughs> it truly is that. And, and like I said, it's been a while since I've read a book like that. Because my, my husband's book, I usually read them before they're published. So I don't get a chance to enjoy the book because I'm in edit mode. So to be able to read a book and really enjoy it. I mean, I literally went through four chapters like pretty quick because I was like, wow, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I love the fact, I'm sorry, Annie, I'm leaving you out of here for a second. I love the fact that she's strong. She knows what she wants and she's not going to compromise what she wants. Right. But yet at the same time, and I think this is what's missing in our society today, we think that a woman cannot be strong and both compassionate. But that's how we are. Yeah. I would say the majority of women are both. Would you agree with that, Annie, or I'm just totally off base? <laughs> no, I, I would completely agree with it because there are a lot of things that hit a nerve in me. Um, there was one question, though, uh, Dan. You... Uh, in your in your prologue to it, in your introduction to the book, you picked out two women to uh, use as examples, and one was Clara Barton, right. who founded the Red Cross. Uh, right. The other one was Dorothy Dick, who helped reform hospitals, especially dealing with the mentally ill. Um, right. And this is something that I had uh, a teacher in high school that took us into some of these mental wards. Uh, in various hospitals that had not been reformed up to the manner in which Dorothy and Dick had only wanted. And we're talking about the 60s and 70s, our generation. Um, I was just wondering why you didn't use Dr. Mary Walker as one of those people to show as an example. She is the only woman to have received the Medal of Honor, and she was a surgeon in the Civil War. Uh, I was just curious why you didn't pick on Mary Walker as an example also. Because, uh, well, I, I did pick those two women in the book. She picks the two women because of what she gets out of the library at her school. They don't have a huge department on nursing in that school or women in general. Right. So when she decided that she wanted to be a nurse, her focus turned to those women who were prominent nurses. And those two women were very prominent. Uh, but even, even up to the time when she was in the Army Nurse Corps in World War II, she had no rank. Women in the military had no rank regardless of what they did. And it was George Marshall who, in this, in this story, becomes a, a, a mentor for her 
and support her for the ideas that she was. And he goes to her to solve problems. But it was Marshall's desire. And he, he when she became a captain, I'm, I'm giving a little bit of the story away. But when she becomes a captain, she gets pinned her, her bars by Marshall in Honolulu. And uh, where she spent a great deal of her time in the war. Um, but she had to fight very hard to get the recognition that the military leaders were unwilling to give to women, recognizing them. Uh, as I, I did an interview yesterday with a gentleman who talked about the women in, in the Second World War who flew the aircraft. Mm to the front and nobody hardly knows who they are. Um, so it was a way to also honor those women who served in the, in the World War II and in the Korean War, because the book does go to the Korean War. But it's um, it's a history, it's, it's one person's adventure. And, um, the, I don't know whether you got there, uh, either one of you. So I, if you have, if you have not, I apologize for telling this one particular story. But it's, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun to write. She's finished her nursing, and she's gotten a job at St. James Hospital, and she's a, an ER nurse, which is what she wanted to be. <clears throat> the nursing supervisor for the hospital approaches her and says, I think you should be go, go back to school and get certified as a charge nurse. Now, that's not a term that's used terribly much today, but a charge nurse is responsible for all the nurses in either in a department or depending on the size of the hospital, for the hospital. And she's responsible for their continuing education, their problems and whatever. So she thinks about it, and the school, the, the the hospital will pay her tuition, but that means she has to give the hospital another year, year and a half. And she, her roommate uh, in her last year left after graduation and went to California, San Diego, and she hated the cold as much as as uh, Mary Ellen hated the cold, <clears throat> but. She agrees because it, she thinks it'll be worthwhile longer term to have that RN on her resume. So she goes and enrolls at LaSalle University in Chicago, and she's in the library. And she looks over and there's this guy intensely staring at her. And she puts her head down and looks back again. He still hasn't lost a beat. <clears throat> she's wondering what's going on. I mean, she knows that she's an attractive woman, but it's unnerving to have somebody stare at you so long. So he finally gets over and comes up over to her. And the first thing he says, you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life, which is not a bad opening line. <laughs> so uh, she's a little embarrassed and uh, he sits down and introduces himself and he pulls out his FBI identification. And he says, is there a place that we could go get a cup of coffee away from the school? 
And she says, sure, right around the corner, there's a coffee shop. And she knows it's, it's pretty open, so she won't have a lot of exposure. So they go there. And again, he tells her, like, sorry, I keep looking at you, but you're just gorgeous. Red hair, green eyes. Just stacked to the health and, uh, and very smart. First in her class all the time. <clears throat> and he says, look, I, I know you're probably a little bit nervous about talking to the FBI, but let me give you a piece of information. In 1936, the Congress passed a law that American individuals and or corporations cannot trade with any country deemed to be a threat to America. But the FBI is convinced that the, that the mob, the gangsters in Chicago, the mafia, are supplying weapons and ammunition to Mussolini in Italy. They can't get in. But when when our heroine is introduced to the rest of the people of the FBI, they they fall over backwards just like he does. And they take her downtown to Carson Pierce and um, whatever, the fancy department store, and they do a total makeover. She is like Jean Harlow with red hair. And she's even more gorgeous and they 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 dress her to the to the nines and <clears throat> she starts going with the fbi agents to various parties and gatherings involved with the mafia <clears throat> and she gets to know the head guy the, the godfather of the mafia syndicate in chicago and she has this dress one of two dresses that are were made for her that fit her body to the point that she can only bend over to about a 45 degree level. Anything further than that, everything comes out. And so he sees her and he's just absolutely stunned again. He, he walks up the aisle to this, in this restaurant and says, you're having dinner with me. And they sit down and she, and she, the FBI agent goes with her. And uh, <clears throat> she starts talking to him about what it's like to be, you know, in the mob in Chicago, and she tells him that she treats some of the some of his people in, in their emergency room in the hospital where she works. And uh, she says, well, what are you doing now with uh, Prohibition and everything else? She said, well, we have different ways to make money. And she said, how do you do that? And she and he tells her, well, we uh, we have a deal that we can take cargo ships and ship rifles and ammunition to various people around the world. And she's been taught, whenever she hears that, she has to ask the question, who are you supplying it to? Is it Mussolini? Is it Hitler? When he says Mussolini, and then she says, how often do you ship? And he says, every month. In fact, we got one shipment going out tonight on Pier 32 all the doors crash in, FBI agents come in and arrest everybody, including her. And they take him downtown and, and, and book them. Of course, they let her go. But she's so tense and so afraid of what happened. She says, I got to get out of Chicago. So she calls her roommate. She says, I've got to come, but I don't have a job. She said, 
give me two days, you'll have a job. You'll have a job before you get here. <clears throat> so here was a woman who wanted to be a nurse, was a nurse, was studying to be a better nurse, a more practical nurse, but yet she took time to have a little bit of an adventure in her life being an operative for the FBI in the war effort. And I, 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 I just love that story because it's, it's, it's hysterical. <clears throat> but it's, it's full of those kinds of, it's the, the, the discussion of what goes on at the time in the economy, in the towns, in the cities, and what's happening, the poverty. At the same time, there's also wealth because of illegal activity. Right. And uh, her second year roommate, they both studied very hard. He, she was first, she was second in the class. And they said, <clears throat> their two week vacation, when they came back, they said, we're gonna spend a little more time to find acquaintances with men in Chicago and see a little more of the town. And so they meet these couple of guys and they're friendly with them and they go out and they go to baseball games and dinner. And <clears throat> time for her, to, both of them to the whole school to leave the 1st of August. And when they come back, September the 1st, her roommate doesn't come. Hmm. She's from Brooklyn and she tries and tries and finally gets her on the phone when she says she's pregnant Ugh. and she can't come back. And all up at that point in time, she was saying, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to sacrifice the opportunity I could have in nursing if I get pregnant. So <clears throat> moral values all over the place makes her own decisions. Right. That's good. One of the things I liked about uh, what I read so far too is you pull in the history. You 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 put the the history aspect of it within the story that she's right. telling, and I think that's good too. That people can when they're reading the book, they're also learning the history that happened in the nation, not just what happened in World War II, but the actual inner workings and what people were going through and some of the history makers at the time. So I, th I thought that was, I thought that was beautiful. And even the adjust adjustments her mother and father had to make in their jobs in order to try and continue to make some kind of money. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> and the, I don't know whether you got to the point where there, the park uh, that they used to go ice skating in and swim in turned into a shanty town and, and her parents, while she was away at school, started a soup kitchen for that group of people. And every week they take 12 quart mason jars of soup and 12 loaves of bread to, to feed the people. Wow, that's beautiful. It's well, it's know, a very, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, it, it, there's, there's so many things that I can relate to that's in the book. And I don't know if I've told this story that when I was, uh, Told as a guidance counselor my junior year in high school. The guidance counselor I had hadn't been the football coach. And when he said, well, what do you want to do? And I had a couple ideas in the back of my head of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to go. And before I can utter a word, he goes, this is going to be my advice to you. And he said, take secretarial courses and then marry your boy. <laughs> and this is in our lifetime. So imagine what this young woman went through to being 
independent and strong as well as compassionate. And I went into um, graduate high school two years later. I'm walking back into the high school for night courses. And my guidance counselor, who's the football coach, um, was the one that was uh, in charge of the night courses. And he saw me walking in. He goes, Anne Marie, I'm glad you're taking my advice and taking, taking secretarial courses. And I smiled so sweetly and I said, no, Mr. Hotchkiss, I'm teaching one of your courses. <laughs> I and I have 13 part-time employees and a storefront right down the street. It's, oh, it, I love it. That's a great story. It, it, but it, it's so representational. Um, we, we don't know. We, I learned a great deal about the, the lack of a better word, persecution of women, the demeaning of women. Oh, yeah. And 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 I try to show in the book that women can do great things if they just get an opportunity. And um, uh, and if you find the right male person in authority in charge, mm -hmm. he can move things. And and in the in the book, um. When she goes to San Diego, she meets her future love, and um, he's a, a fighter pilot student at Ryanair in San Diego, and they see each other a lot, and, and she tells him, no sex, not going to happen. So if, if that's important to you, goodbye. I'd love yeah. to be your friend, and we can be intimate in a lot of ways, but it doesn't have to have sex. So he leaves. He's supposed to meet her at the cantina on a Friday night. Doesn't show. Doesn't call. Nothing. She's really pissed. She, give, she gave in to some of her passions to be with this man. And he disappeared and didn't say a word. And he comes back and knocks on her door and she's ready to throw him out. And he said, look, the department, the department of war sent my entire squadron to England to work with the rural air force to overfly Germany to see what was happening. I couldn't tell you. Of course, she forgives him immediately because he's her hero. And but the point is that she had to fight every time. And she had a great sponsor in this story, George Marshall, author of The Marshall Plan. He was the secretary of the army and, uh, and then later chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But even, even when she had a supporter as high up as George Marshall in the day-to-day -day activities, she had to fight every day. And you wonder what, what, what happened? Why, why, did, why did we, where did we decide that women were second class? I don't know. I, I don't either. And, and I got to say, I think the struggle for women still exists. It's just a little different than it was then. Um, you know, just like you were saying early on in the conversation, you know, why is everything about demeaning women today? 
you know, through this whole transgender type of thing and 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 wanting men to be women. Men can't be women. I, I'm I'm I hope I'm not a baby body. And they can't have babies either. That's right. And I know that well that says they can. And I know we have different views of, of moms who, who watch our show, but the bottom line is this. A woman is a woman, a man is a man. And those differences need to be celebrated, not tolerated, and not changed to make whomever it may be feel better. Because um, if you ask the average five-year-old, they can tell you a boy and a girl they just can they just know it instinctively and to try to persuade them that that's not the case is a hard sell right but anyway um i love the book sad eyes i'm looking forward to reading the rest of it i'm looking forward to receiving my signed copy <laughs> I, the, public, the publisher both of you the from the author <laughs> the publisher sent me a note this morning that UPS is going to deliver them on Friday. Yes, I'm so I'm, excited. I've I'm, seen the cover and it looks wonderful. It's a is that a gorgeous cover? Yes. I mean that is that is a that is a green-eyed, red-haired, gorgeous Irish lass. <laughs> I remember I wrote it down in my notes. <laughs> I I wanted to I just wanted to follow up what you just said, Vicky. Was um I was asked a question similar to what you were asked sort of asking and and when i talked about the the persecution and the demeaning of young girls and women today what what do i think had have has happened and uh the cause this and i i i gave him my answer which i will tell you in just a moment but he said i didn't even think of that didn't cross my mind if we look at our own society today, if we look at what's happening in Israel, how are women being treated? Hmm. And is it is it the expansion of Hamas? And and we look at our country, and we look at our political leaders who are supporting the genocide of Hamas against women and children. Are they basically, have they been for many years now, been indoctrinating the American left that the value of women is greatly diminished and it should be men? And so this, this rebirth of this demeaning of women, I think, is a result of the, the influence of Muslims in our culture. Mm. in the states well, well if you also look at our history here in the united states uh black americans had the vote prior to women obtaining yes. right to vote that's right much less run for office um so women have always been considered second-class citizens and children's possessions until they reach their adulthood and uh, and suffer debt um we have always been treated, and I have always found it, even to today, when I start to talk to someone, they're amazed at how intelligent I, as a woman, can be. We're not, they don't even, in today's day and age, continue, consider us to be an equal intelligence. 
Absolutely. Why do they have now men encroaching in on women's sports and other activities, claiming to be equal to women, but yet refuse to accept women being equal to them? Right. So they, they, you have men pretending to be women, advertising women's garments and other items. That's completely- Bud Light. Bud Light. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about other items that some of these men are attempting to advertise. Uh, Yes, bathing suit. A woman's bra advertising that something is sexy, (laughs) not sexy. I'm sorry. But still, they demean us and feel that a man can represent what we want better than we can represent for ourselves. And I, I found that not in just the business world, but I found that also as a police officer. When I would respond and be the first one on the scene, they were shocked to see a woman as their backup instead of another man. And yet I could do the job as well and in time better then because I had the compassion. Right. They don't see us as being able to achieve the same status in society. You get a strong woman in politics and either they cater to the left to keep their position or the considered real itches. Exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about in that. Coordination of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others of her political persuasion, like us, conservatives and Christians. Yes. No, we're the bad guys. We're evil. We're the fascists. We're the bigots. We're this. We're that. And as Herman Cain says, you you know you're winning the argument when they sin against you in the argument. S-I-N. Switch the subject. Ignore the facts and call your name and call your names that's it that's exactly what happens if you are a strong woman and i gotta tell you i'm gonna add something to this and don't i don't want to offend anybody but when you are a strong black woman you come in and you stand your ground (laughs) oh my oh my and especially when you're you're operating in a system sorry dan don't get offended of um, what people would consider old white men. It's like, come on, give me a break. And so um, it's got to stop. I appreciate the book because I mean, from first chapter, you have a strong woman, you have a strong female. I'll say it that way because she was just a child at the beginning, but Mm -hmm. you have a strong female. And I think you are right, Dan. Enough girls are not seeing this in society because they're being told they're less than, not with words, but by the very actions. When a man wants to become a woman and then he says that he is a woman and then he can go and compete with other women and totally dominate. When a man or a woman who claims to be a man now says that she is the first man to have a um, first man to have a baby. I'm like, seriously, sweetheart, seriously, you still have the plumbing of a woman and that's why you have a baby. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, it's like, stop the madness. That's what I feel like saying sometimes. Well, actually I have said that stop the madness because it's not helping our society get strong. I mean, my goodness, look what's happening with the military now. All of a sudden we realize, oh, we shouldn't have told those people to go because they refused to take the, 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 the shot. And now we're wanting to call them all these strong people back. Well, why didn't right. you think about that? It's like, you know how when we were younger in our generation, we were taught 
don't just look at where you are right now. Think about the consequences of your decision, what decision you make now and how it's going to affect you down the road. It's like right. we don't have that concept anymore with a lot of young people. They think right now, what's happening right now, let's deal with it right now in the passion, like you're talking about the passion of the moment. She made a decision. There ain't going to be no passion in the moment. <laughs> well, you know, there's something I wanted to point out because in the book, there's a communication within the family and outside of the family. There was human interaction. Yes. In day and age, it is your smart device, your social uh, network online, TikTok. Yes. Text, uh, whatever you want to call FaceTime. They don't interact with another human being. It is an electronic device that they're staring at 24-7. There's no yes. human interaction, which is why the military can't get people into it because they have the instant gratification. And if it can't be done in 140 characters or told you in 30 <laughs> seconds, they're not interested. That's right. The human oh. interaction is going the way of, what is it? Uh, uh, Isaac Asimov uh, wrote the book um, about people interacting with robots more than with another fellow human being. Uh, I think what the name of the book is, oh God, I, I've read it several times and for some reason I've got a brain fart. <laughs> but <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. A society yeah. today where they don't know how to look you in the eye, shake your hand and have a conversation. And yeah. the book brings back the importance of that need. And we need to unplug our society and plug it back into human interrelationship absolutely no one one thing i want to share with you my last thing and thank you for the time and the great questions and great observations when i decided to write a prologue i decided that it wasn't going to be from me it was going to be from her i like that so i signed it her not me yeah. And people said, well, why did you do that? Because it's her story. It's not my story. I'm just the, I'm just the person who put the words to what she did. So yeah. I thank yeah. you for the time. Um, great interview, as always. And um, have a great Thanksgiving. And we'll talk again next week. Awesome. Well, Moms Across America, this has been uh, fun for me. I hope, I hope you've enjoyed the difference that we've done with, with this particular show. And uh, just like Dan said, happy Thanksgiving. We hope you have a wonderful time. Don't eat too much turkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, moms across America, always remember you are America and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Good night and God bless. I'm Dan Perkins, the author of a new historical romance novel called Sad Eyes. It is the story of a young woman, a beautiful Irish lass with red hair and green eyes and curves that won't quit. She is born in 1912 in Waterloo, Iowa, and she decides she wants to be an ER nurse. But she wants to move away from Waterloo to the excitement of a big city. She was accepted by St. James School of Nursing in Chicago and began a life as a true American patriot, serving her country in two wars. She fell in love with the love of her life. She takes the longest honeymoon in history. This novel is full of twists and turns and will be difficult to put down. You can find Sad Eyes on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, J. Carroll Publishing, or through your local bookstore. 
Enjoy the read. Pass it on. And write a review at Amazon.